Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Boy, what a show. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the program with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker as we broadcast live from SEC Media Days in Nashville, Tennessee. And a loaded show, we've got it. We'll talk a little bit of South Carolina with Jay Phillips of 107.5 The Game in Columbia. Also, Rick Neuheisel, longtime college football coach, now an analyst with uh, CBS, will join us. And we'll have DJ Shockley, former Georgia quarterback, who's a college football analyst as well. So we'll have a breakdown of Georgia. Benjamin Watson will join us, who is with ESPN, former Georgia tight end. And we'll visit with Jesse Simonton of On3, covered Tennessee at one point, now is a national college football writer. So you talk about loaded, we're loaded Caleb, this is your first SEC media days. This might be my 25th. What do you think? I mean, it's busy. It's hectic. And they say that your first is your worst at SEC media days. But I got to say, it's a lot of people's first because a lot of people, this guy included, are not as familiar with the lay of the land since they're at a new place in a new hotel. No, I need my Winfrey back in Hoover, Alabama. And uh, yeah. Uh, but that's that's back in the day. We do know that it'll be at Dallas next year. So in in Dallas, Texas, that should be pretty cool. I'm not surprised. I uh, heard that from a source within the SEC office. So coming up the rest of the week, we will visit with some uh, big names and uh, some familiar names, uh, such as Greg Sankey will join us. That should be awesome as we were able to uncover the fact that the NIL issue is a matter of years, if not uh, months, if not years, I should say, as opposed to people thought this would get all put to bed in a couple of days or weeks last year. That's not going to be the case. So we'll bring that to you. 
And uh, also we'll visit with Ron Slay before the end of the week. Ron Slay talk hoops, but he can also uh, talk some uh, football as well. Oh, he's not going to run for me? He's not going to hide? I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> I don't think he'll run like Eli Drinkwitz did and refuse to answer any questions from the media this week. It's been bizarre. And then we'll have complete Tennessee coverage on Thursday. All the players will be on board. Look forward to visiting with Josh Heupel and hearing comments from all of those people. So with Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker. Coverage of SEC Media Days in Nashville brought to you in part by Zen Sports, the new sportsbook in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get with their cash rewards program. You get a lot of cash. For a welcome bonus, earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with the code HOOKED, H-O-O-K-E-D. Support our advertisers. That's right. Unlimited 5% cash back with the promo code HOOKED, H-O-O-K-E-D. Keep betting and keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month. After that, refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards to Zen Sports is bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. And do me a favor, hit that like button. If you haven't subscribed yet, do that. And turn the notifications on, especially now, because we will be dropping interviews and the meetings with the media of Tennessee's football players on a Thursday. Also, maybe a visit with Lane Kiffin. We shall see. But we get it rolling right now. We'll go to Jay Phillips, who covers South Carolina. He was surprised as, as anybody by the Columbia collapse last year. Here's Jay Phillips, who covers the Gamecocks on 107.5 The Game. We are joined by a very special guest. We'll talk some South Carolina. And I know we've got a lot of South Carolina fans because I hear them ripping me on our YouTube channel. It's Jay Phillips of 107.5 The Game. He's covered South Carolina for a couple of years, um, like I've covered Tennessee for a couple of years. We always love visiting with him because the insight he gives us to the Gamecocks is like no other. Jay, we appreciate the time. It's a couple of decades now, which is kind of scary. It may or may not be my 25th SEC uh, media days. Yeah, well, it's not my 25th media days. I think it's my 18th media days, but I have been doing it for a while. So, yeah, but it's, we're ready to go. Good stuff. So, um, this, the, the South Carolina Gamecocks kind of uh, threw a monkey wrench into things for for the Vols. Um, how stunning was that game? And then we'll get to how they finished against Clemson, too. But that was supposed to be a walk in the park for the Vols. And they can talk about off-field issues all they want. But give South Carolina credit. They came to play. They did. And, and I look, I think a lot of people, well, everybody, look, let's face it. Everybody was surprised by that. If you if you weren't, then you're, you're probably lying to yourself, or you're you've got other issues. That said, you mentioned that it was supposed to be a walk in the park for Tennessee. Did Tennessee believe that? I think that might have been some of it. Um, that said, that was also at a point for South Carolina football, offensively at least, where Shane Beamer had been incrementally taking control of the offense or at least resting some control for Marcus Satterfield at the time. And what I mean by that, Dave, Marcus had a big playbook, big, thick, and he, he, you know, I'm being figurative here, but he wanted to, he wanted every play to always be at his disposal. Mm -hmm. That's fine in theory, but in practice, literally and figuratively, 
differently. You can't do that in college. You just you don't have the time. You don't have the talent. And Shane was recognizing going back a few weeks to like the A and M game. Marshawn Lloyd, who's now transferred to Southern California, um, got three carries in the first half, and Shane was unhappy. And in the second half, I think in that A and M game, Marshawn got. 17 or 18 carries, and South Carolina won the game. The point I'm making here is Shane was like, Marcus, let's quit trying to do whatever. Put the hand, put the ball, rather, in the hands of those who can get it done. Juice Wells and, and, and all, you know, those guys, you know, let's, let's make the difference makers make a difference, you know? And by the time they got to Tennessee, they had, I hate the term simplified the playbook. They had just taken off the crap we, we've been using on our show an analogy like this man a, a denny's menu all right at denny's you can get like salmon and a t-bone all right who goes to denny's for salmon and t-bone let's take that off the menu marcus we're never going to go there so let's quit practicing it let's quit having the chefs try to cook it or the cooks try to cook it. let's just do pancakes and eggs and grits and hash browns because that's what people want and they did that with football. And by the time it came around to Tennessee, plus whatever else was happening that week, it manifested itself in a fantastic victory. And Carolina, I think, scored on virtually every possession. But I, nobody saw that. But that, that's what was happening at the time with Gamecock football. The head coach was saying, I don't like this. I know how to fix this. And I'm going to fix it. And Spencer had his confidence. Again, Marshawn ran well. Defense did enough. Of course, Hendon went down, and that certainly harmed Tennessee in that game. I'm not sure if that makes a difference. I have no way to know, but Carolina did what they did. So is it fair to say that before that game, Carolina fans were sour on Shane Beamer? No, not on, not on Shane, on Marcus. Okay, gotcha. Not on Shane. Shane, Shane's fine. Okay. Well, let me ask you this, and he, he has some success – I guess we could debate whether or not there's a glass ceiling at, at South Carolina. But something I heard coming in today as we broadcast live from SEC Media Days in Nashville is that at some point, Oklahoma, if things don't work out there, might have interest in a Shane Beamer. I know there's no way to tell. I covered Lane Kiffin, for goodness sake. They're going to tell you they'll stay there forever. But what sense do you get about his long-term goal? It's funny that you bring up Lane Kiffin because I personally believe that before they might look Oklahoma, and we're being very hypothetical here, um, before they look at Shane Beamer, they might look at Lane Kiffin or Josh Heupel. And I think both would make sense for Oklahoma in a modern sense. Heupel obviously makes sense. And I know he was fired from there, but those people are gone. Um, but let's, let's let Brent Venables at least get a chance. Listen, if I'm Shane Beamer and Oklahoma calls me, a, I, I certainly listen. Um, and, and again, to be hypothetical, if South Carolina were to lose Shane Beamer to Oklahoma, it's because Shane Beamer is doing very well True. in South Carolina. And for as long as I've covered South Carolina, and I grew up in Columbia, I went to South Carolina in my lifetime. South Carolina has never hired a football coach from a position of strength. In other words, they, you know, because everybody's fired, you know, sadly, one guy died. Um, but you've never hired from a position. And even when Coach Morrison died, they were about to get popped with some NCAA stuff back in the late 80s. 
So that wouldn't have been a position of strength either way because you probably would have had to get rid of them. Um, so in this case, were that to unfold the way you, again, we hypothetically mentioned, I'm not saying that'd be good for South Carolina, but they would be in a position they've never really been in when it comes to, hey, next potential coach, look for you. Instead of, hey, next potential coach, uh, we need you to fix all this. Because that's what they've had to do through the years. And in the case of Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, two giants of the game, they were available. You didn't go hire them from another school, you know? That's a good point. Uh, you, I mean, they, Lou was on TV, and I, I'm not really joking. Steve was playing too much golf for his own liking. Seriously. I mean, he was like, I want to coach. You know? um, and, and South Carolina was fortunate enough to be able to put the package together to get him. We saw what Steve did especially. So that said, um, I also know this. Shane Beamer really did want the South Carolina job. He didn't just want a head coaching job. Now, he might have wanted some, there might be some other jobs that were attracted to Shane Beamer. But Shane coached with Steve for five years, two of Shane's three children and Emily that were born in Columbia. They love Columbia. They like, they really enjoyed raising their family, young family in Columbia for a few years. Then he had the opportunity to work for his father again. Who knows if he leaves? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. Um, but they really love Columbia. They live right near campus. Um, the, the kids are happy in school. That things are going well. He's got community support, and he's part of the community. The last head coach was not. He just Will Muschamp. I, I've said before, Dave, and I probably told you this. Will Muschamp, and I, I mean this kind of jokingly, but serious in a little bit. Will Muschamp's answer to getting better at football is to watch a lot of film, and if that doesn't work, then you go watch more film. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and and Shane, on the other hand, it's I'm serious. You know, that's just that's that's and that look, that's how Will's wired. That's fine. And listen, Will won the damn lottery, so you know he, he's doing fine. Um, but he won't be a head coach again at this level, in my opinion. But Shane lets his assistants do their job, and Shane is out selling the program. He's selling recruits. He's selling donors. He's selling boosters. He's selling fans. He goes above and beyond. When it comes to media availability, he, he wants to sell South Carolina football. You know who you're talking about, not to interrupt your flow there. You're talking about Philip Fulmer. And he did all right yeah. I mean, until, he, until he didn't. But some other things may have factored into that. But Coach Fulmer, look, I, I remember I was in college the day South Carolina beat Tennessee in the first year of SEC play, 1992. Mm -hmm. And basically, Coach Majors was let go not long after that. And Coach Fulmer did his thing. And Philip went out and got his players. And he won a title. And he won some conference titles. Um, but that's what you do. And Philip Fulmer let David Cutcliffe do his job. Shane Beamer was letting Marcus Satterfield do his job. Now, he's got Dowell Loggins coming in to do his job. But Marcus... How do I say it nicely? Marcus just wasn't cut out for that. Marcus, Marcus is the guy I think who can draw up plays, but Marcus is not the guy who can teach. He's not a he's not a teacher. Dowell is a teacher. Coach Cutcliffe, as you well know, is a teacher. People like that, you let them go do their job. John Chavis, a teacher. Philip Fulmer had great assistants. Shane Beaver's got some really good assistants. That's what you got to let them do their job. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that Phillips started to struggle when he didn't have David Cutcliffe. Yeah. And I think that was a big part of it. Um, make a case that Spencer Rattler is the best quarterback in the SEC this year. Can you do that? Well, I don't know if I can. I don't know. Um, 
he might end up being when we're having this conversation yeah, in five months. Yeah, he, he might. I think it's an interesting year. You know, it's one of those ebb and flow type situations mm-hmm. right now. The, the Southeastern Conference lost a few good quarterbacks last year. Um, I, I can make the case that he is experienced. I can make the case that he is talented. I can make the case that he is comfortable. Um, and it's funny, I, 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 I was talking to somebody recently enough that, that Spencer and Dow have kind of gotten together, like, you know, the movie Step Brothers. Like, like, <laughs> like, it's like Spencer and Dow, it's not that they fought at the beginning, but now they get along great, you know? And and that's what Spencer needed. He needed somebody that they could believe in and, and harness what he does. Dow Loggins has coached quarterbacks in the NFL for 15 years, and he was on staff at Arkansas for a couple of years because he wanted to learn how to recruit. And he had known Shane from some previous stops. So there's a comfort level in terms of what Spencer is going to be asked to do relative to what it was like in the first half of last year when he looked out of sorts. And again, in my opinion, Dave, it's because the playbook was so big and they were just asking them to do too much for a college program. Marcus came out of the NFL with Matt Rule for a little bit. You can do that in the NFL and you work all day, 24-7, if you will, on football. The NCAA didn't let you do that. You, you can't do that in college football, you, you know? So... I can't tell you he's going to be the best quarterback in the SEC because Carolina has got to find a way to run the ball. Yep. And obviously, you always have to block. If they can put some of those things in place, I like his receiving core. It's deep. It's talented. Coach Step is an excellent teacher as well uh, uh, for, for receivers. So he's just, you know, if they can put those things together uh, and get through the first month comfortable in this new Dowell Hawkins offense, really, look, you, you, you find a way to beat North Carolina. I'm not saying Spencer Rattler's in the Heisman conversation, but considering North Carolina has a Heisman candidate, if, if you find a way to beat North Carolina in game one, then you've got a, an easy game in game two with Furman. Then you go to Georgia, you know, and if you can play well at Georgia and, and not win, you know, you don't have to beat Georgia necessarily. But if you can go to Athens and, and play well, then I think Spencer Rattler has a case for being a, a, a premier quarterback. JD, pets. I have two dogs. What are the dogs' names? Uh, Truvy is a big yellow lab. She weighs about 90 pounds. And then we have a little Yorkie poodle mix named Mabel. She weighs about 12 pounds. So we have very different dogs, but Mabel's older and is definitely the boss. Okay. Well, older dogs can get arthritis. So I'm going to send you some craft treats. Go to crafttreats.com with the CBD. Like I did that. With the CBD derivative that will help with pets, arthritis, stomach issues, or also uh, how about anxiety? Crafttreats.com. Use the promo code off the hook. His dogs are getting some. I'm Dave Hooker. More after this. It'll be Rick Neuheisel up next. CBS. Ooh, is he going to play his guitar? No, I didn't get him. Oh. But I also didn't get him any craft treats. So, you know, maybe if I'd have got him craft treats, he would have played his guitar. Yeah. There you go. Use the promo code off the hook. He's Jay Phillips. He's awesome. Of 107.5 The Game. More after this, including Rick Neuheisel and Craving Wings South North Shore location where we've heard people say that you can get the best wings in East Tennessee. Pero quien es este? El numero 87, Jacob Warren. I'm just doing six of my sauce 87, please. Imposible, señorita. Dale seis más. Look at these wings. Perfectas, deliciosas, fantásticas. Man, I don't know what you're saying, but it sounds awesome. How do you say fresh, never frozen in Spanish? Frescas, nunca congeladas. Make your way to Craving Wings and get you seis más. What was funny about Cadis, we were a full continuum of care at that time. We had detox, we had inpatient, we had outpatient, 
So we were doing a lot of the things that we do now. But now we just do them so much better. It's really a simple program, but it's for complicated people. I am what I am, and now i got to do something about it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasti's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasti Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986, each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler, and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the... Welcome back live from SEC Media Days. It is Nashville. That's right. We're in Nashville and joined by a very special guest, Rick Neuheisel. Long time. I'm not sure how special, but I'm no, here. You're, I really I've never been crowded into a, uh, a booth like this we, with the, the great uh, announcer that I'm sitting next to. I don't, I don't know about great, maybe slightly below average. But, Rick, you, um, you, you were absolutely known as one of the better offensive coaches when you were involved in in college football and I'm just curious as a whole when you see the TCUs and of course the Tennessees which I cover nowadays did you ever think that offense could change that drastically and in, in the time that you're around watching football you know my old coach Homer Smith would say fields 53 and a third yards wide it's 120 yards long the 11 on 11 the possibilities are endless and because coaches spend their lives looking at the x's and o's and the geometry of the game and trying to get advantages whether it be physical matchups angle match uh advantages it's endless in terms of how we go about it so we're not ever going to get to the end of ideas that now this pendulum will swing back and forth as to who has the advantage, the defense or the offense. We've seen trends where the defense takes over. Remember 46 defense, Buddy Ryan's, right? Ran until people figured out how to block it. Now everybody has what we call a bear check when they jump into it. Now we've got a play that slices and dices it so you can't jump into it very often unless it's a surprise deal or you're trying to bait somebody into a bear check and then back out of it. It's just a ultimate game of rock, scissors, paper. You can win, right. you can lose, and you're just trying to figure out where's the best uh, chance to be, have victory. Well, and use pendulum. I've used the word cyclical, but I don't know that it's going to be, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, I don't know that it's going to be quite as cyclical or pendulum because I think TV and the conferences and the fans want more scoring. So I don't oh, know. Oh, we love offense. The rules are predicated to lead right. to more offense. The 
the idea that you can have offensive linemen three and four yards down the field blocking a running play and still throw a forward pass has made sure that we're going to have more offense because you put linebackers and safeties who have responsibilities when we talk about gaps in terms of a run th- run uh, responsibility you put them in such conflict they can't do it we've seen the changing of what middle linebackers look like they have to be able to now play man-to-man coverage they don't have to be as big and burly as the ray nitschke's and the dick buckuses of the past we've seen safeties shrink down to corner size because they have to have cover ability uh, which means they have to be able to tackle in space one-on-one. And in that deal, we're not nearly as much a downhill defensive football team more catch. And when you're only still, we haven't changed the, how many yards it takes to get a first down. So we're going to give up more first downs. We're going to give up more points. But we're going to try to keep that under wraps so that our offense, which is also taking advantage of the offensive rules, can outscore you. Tennessee is taking advantage of that with a guy named Josh Heifel, right? And you said something that I thought was incredibly strong last year. I think it was at the Knoxville uh, quarterback club that if Tennessee had another chance at Georgia, they either could or would correct me if, if I've misspoken, but could or would beat Georgia if they had another go around. I think as Josh Heifel looked at that film and Hennon Hooker looked at that film, now later Hennon Hooker would get hurt, so it wasn't going to be available should that rematch have occurred. But uh, they would have both said, we know how to attack this defense. Certainly, Kirby would have made some adjustments as well, and there would have been some defensive changes. But but I thought, based on what the film showed, that the Georgia crowd was as much responsible for that victory as was the great effort of the Georgia football team because Tennessee could not get to the plays that were offered based on the look. And it wasn't because of disguise. It was because of the inability to communicate. You know, Hendon Hooker said something that was very interesting to me this just this week at SEC Media Days because he had been, been criticized some, and Joe Milton has too, for some overthrows, some errant passes. And he said it's not an accuracy issue. It's more of being on the same page of the receiver. Sure. Is that more fixable or is it more difficult to fix with a guy who just has innate inaccuracy It issues? depends on, and, and I'd have to have been in the meeting rooms as they installed those particular plays, but it depends on if the route that is run by the receiver is predicated on a defensive look or predicated on a play call. If normally when you and I think of play calls, we think, okay, the receiver is going to go down 10 and go break to the outside. Well, that might be if it gets single high safety. Mm-hmm. If he gets a different look, then that route might change to a different kind of reaction. And how those two players see the field is determined about which way he's going, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I'm thinking that he's stopping and he's thinking he's going, and all of a sudden I have to regain my footing so as I can launch a ball that I wasn't anticipating throwing, I might not, not launch it in the more accurate way that I would have if it would have been my first choice. So corresponding footwork to where the ball lands is critical to accuracy and understanding what the defense is telling that receiver to do is also critical and it looks different in those different vantage points. When you watch ball, you see a hundred times more than me. So where would you rank 
Josh Heupel in terms of an offensive mind in college football right now? Josh is a space guy. He's like Wee Willie Keeler back in baseball, hit him where they ain't, right? He's looking for air. He's you know, Homer Smith, my old offensive coordinator, was we're looking for air. We're trying to expand. You know, when you create splits of offensive linemen, the more you split out, the more it seems like there's gaps, but you're also creating more air for a running back. Um, as an example, Josh spreads the field with his wideouts. You can see the, you know, whether it's two by two or three by one, they're really far away from the adjacent tackle. And in so doing, you dictate to the defense what you're going to do in those spaces. Those are gaps. And what you're going to do, are you going to get all the way out there with those receivers trying to make sure that you don't get beat outside? Now there's more air for your running game. If you try to creep in to create either pass rush or uh, out flank your run game, then there's particular opportunities outside with the space that's created. And then playing the cat and mouse game of play action, which now is kind of an RPO world, run pass option based on how you react in those those gap players, whether they're committing to the run and now giving you space behind, and then you're filling the space. You're just going to where there is air. And he has done that, whether he did it with Drew Locke when he was at uh, Missouri mm -hmm. as the coordinator, whether he did it with uh, Dylan Gabriel at uh, UCF, uh, and now doing it with uh, Hennon Hooker and now Joe Milton. They're understanding where the space is and fill the space and let's play catch. Let's go back to Georgia without seeing Joe Milton this season, but you have seen him before. What do you think of Tennessee's chances of most likely upsetting? I'm sure Georgia will be favored uh, upsetting Georgia. Well, they have the film of last year where there were opportunities. Uh, so they're going to have a home crowd. So which means that there will be no excuse not to be able to communicate because I thought Georgia's home crowd was very influential last year. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're the same team. We'll have to see how they play. There's a number of really important pieces of Tennessee that have off to the, off to the next level, as is the case of Georgia. I would guess right now that Georgia's ahead of, in depth. Um, but Georgia's going to play with a new quarterback. Joe Milton's relatively new, although that Orange Bowl experience is going to be paid huge dividends in his confidence level. Um, I look at that as the game that Georgia is the, the, the question mark game. I think Georgia's going to line up 11 of 12 times feeling like they're clearly the best team and they're going to have to help the other team beat them, you know, by complacency or what have you. Tennessee at Tennessee, as Alabama found out last year, it's going to be a different deal. Yeah, that's the game that uh, Georgia's going to have to play at their level best to keep what I anticipate being an undefeated season going. Since you coached, what's the most significant change? Because there's been a lot in college football as what's a whole. the best thing that's changed? Um, well, as an offensive coach, the RPO <laughs> is, a, is, is a revelation, right? That That's a beautiful thing. Uh, defensive coaches got to be pulling their hair out. But if you've got a running quarterback and the ability to RPO, you should stay on the field more often than not. Uh, as a you know lover of the game, I certainly love that players can transfer and go places where they can participate. I don't like the idea of poaching. I've always been an advocate for, hey, look, if this young man can't play on my team but can play on your team, 
I want him to come to your team. I want him to come to your team and, and play, and I'll have a scholarship. You'll have a great player, and I'll have a scholarship to give to somebody else that can help me someplace else on my team. That's a win-win. Win-win deals, no one should sit. But when you're coming and calling a player vicariously, you know, somebody else, third parties making that call, and my guy now is going to your place because there's a better deal, an NIL deal or what have you, and he wants to go there as opposed to the place where he committed. And that's not win-win. That's a win-loss. That, to me, should go back to the old way, which now says he has to sit a year. That's not to punish the player. It's to keep the other coach from trying to get him because he can't have him right away. I like it. You see what I'm saying? If I vote no, and even though the other coach wants him and is willing to compensate him, to me, that kid can still go, but he has to sit. He's not losing anything. He's just losing the immediacy of the deal. And But the coach who wants him has to wait for him. That will settle all this down. And that's where we should be in the transfer portal. I want to say one last thing. I, I think that I, I interviewed you, and you probably don't remember it because it's been a, a long time ago. And I, I used the term, if you had to bet such and such. And you were involved in this goofy where you did <laughs> nothing wrong, and you're in this yeah, basketball bet, tournament. Bet, yeah, it's a, it's bad, a bad word. word. Yeah, I, can't, bad I don't word. even swim in pools anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and it's just so funny how much – things have changed because gambling is so prevalent. And for those that don't know, you were just part of an NCAA basketball play. I had, uh, big hubbub. I had, was driving home one March afternoon during right before the NCAA tournament was to begin. And a buddy called me and I went over to a, a brokerage firm and sat there with about 25 guys from the country club that were all golf friends. And they were all bidding on a, a Calcutta for the March Madness. And I watched it and uh, watched the deal. People were asking, I had looked at a college basketball game i've been out recruiting i had no information for anybody but i had fun with them cutting up and such and then at the end of it i was asked do you want to be on our team and i said sure uh never thinking i was breaking any rules and so forth but anyway it blew up got fired uh had to defend myself won the lawsuit but it's amazing as we now have gone through another scandal with pat fitzgerald and stuff at northwestern uh when you pull up coaching scandals, my name keeps coming up like on the first page. That's ridiculous. Uh, I can help you with your SEO on that. Well, I would love that. <laughs> uh, but the idea that I was, you know, uh, quote, bad boy, uh, I, I think it bothers my kids more than it bothers anybody. Because my kids all would love for dad to be a coach again, right? You know, because... Uh, but the fact that I've not been able to get back in uh, since the losing the job at UCLA, which was, you know, we didn't win enough games. Um, I think it bothers him because it, whenever there's an opening, hey, there's this this thing out there, right, that has, and no one really bothers to really do the deep dive as to what happened there. But you know what? Here's the deal. In life, if you're bitter, it only impacts you. And Amen. so you just... Go on. I'm blessed to be at CBS. I'm blessed to be with Sirius XM. I get to talk about a game that I love that's been terrific to me. And uh, I look forward to being a part of it in this way, hopefully for years to come. 
This is one of the good guys, no doubt about it. Rick Neuheisel, I, I certainly appreciate it. I'm, I'm sure your kids are watching so they can like and subscribe. <laughs> and uh, But truly one of the good guys. I appreciate the time. We'll have uh, Benjamin Watson coming up next with ESPN, former Georgia tight end off the Oaks Sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. When you want a hard cider that's easy to enjoy, one that's crafted to perfection, you need Tennessee Cider Company. Some say it's the signature cider of the South. Others say it's the cure to your craving. They all say you'll savor every sip. With a selection of ciders free to sample, all it takes is one taste. Visit TNCiderCompany.com for more information, as well as to shop our ciders and merchandise online. Thirsty yet? Doors open at 10 a.m. SEC Media Days as we broadcast from Nashville. Portions of the program brought to you by AndyMasonRealEstate.com. AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Benjamin Watson joining us now. ESPN analyst, former Georgia player. And uh, Benjamin, this is uh, a pretty wild. We were in a little bit closer to your home state or your, your home area in Atlanta last year. But now we're in nice. Nashville. It was nice. I mean, I just drove in, <laughs> drove in, drove back home. I was home for dinner with the kids, put them to bed at night. You know, this this is a little bit different. I love Atlanta. Nashville's nice, though. Nashville's great. Nashville's fun. Nashville's fun. <laughs> but you're, you're kind of in enemy territory with, with the balls. Uh, let, let's talk Georgia. Boy, when Kirby Smart was hired, I had my, my questions if he was the guy. Those questions were all stupid now in retrospect. Benjamin, he is the guy. There's there's no question about it. How how well is this thing rolling for George right now? Uh, it, it really is amazing to see. And, and I'm not sure if you were the only one that had questions. Look, Kirby came. He had never been a head coach. Didn't have head coaching experience. Yeah, he coached for a great in, in Nick Saban. But um, for Georgia to go out and say, he's one of us. Uh, we see what he's done. We want to nab him before somebody else does. I think it was really the perfect marriage at the perfect time when you've got a guy who has ties to the university as a player. Um, 
and, and have been successful and had coached at Georgia in a, in a assistant role before. Uh, but what he's done, done now, what he's doing now, continuing to do, they have a chance to win three national championships, something that hasn't been done since what, the 30s or 40s, has never been done in the, in the modern era of college football. To look at this roster and say, wow, you keep losing so many players, but the cover is somehow still full <laughs> with, with, with more five stars and more All-Americans. Uh, it's really a testament to not only his dedication, but the coaching staff that he's assembled around. Uh, kudos to, to Georgia, too, for and their fans. There was a lot of talk about Sanford Stadium and whether it was a hostile place to play when Tennessee played them. There's a guy named Eric Ainge that had a little something to say about it. And it got it all churned up. But, man, the Georgia fans responded. I did think at one point, maybe during your career, that was a, it was a little subdued. But, man, it's not subdued anymore. Well, it, it's not, and, and it should never be. Uh, I mean, you know, college football across, across the SEC, um, so many great stadiums, so many great fan bases uh, that are just passionate, that show up for their team. I remember the first time walking into Tennessee, though. And this was the year two, 2001, and went there, played on the road. I remember walking in into Tennessee in Knoxville, Neyland Stadium, and looking up and being like, this is, this is different because of the way it was built. Sanford's right. a little wider. It's not built like for the noise. But the way Tennessee, the fans seem to be right on you. But I think the Georgia fans have been, have been tremendous. I mean, not a day goes by living in Georgia that you don't walk by and somebody says, go dogs. I mean, there's just such an excitement right now because of what Georgia has done. No, no doubt about it. And there should be. I, I've said this before, and, and, and I mean it. If, if I had an opportunity to write a book on almost anybody, it might be Stetson Bennett because of what all he book, went book, movie, flip book, comic book. I mean, documentary, everything. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, I would have argued they lost a great, just lost a great leader maybe this time a year ago, but he turned himself into a great quarterback. What all did they lose in trying to replace Stetson Bennett with Carson Beck? I think the number one thing they lost with Stetson, um, when you listen to the other players talk about Stetson, that, that's what's always key, um, is to listen to what teammates say about a guy and what they don't say about, about a player. And to a man, these guys were pulling for Stetson, partly because of the story, but I think also because they realized the leader that he was. This guy stood up to adversity, um, didn't back down. He was resilient. He was courageous. And, oh, by the way, he put his team in positions to win and make game-winning plays. And so he, he did it on both ends. And so the, the thing about college football is you're going to lose guys. That's just part of the deal. Um, so that's what they lose in him. But when you look at a Carson Beck and even that quarterback room in general, Carson's not even the highly, most highly touted player coming in. Um, they, again, the cover's not full, not, not bare. Uh, but Carson Beck has to come in and exhibit some of that same courage. He has to, to act like he's supposed to be there like Stetson did. He has to lead an offense that has the number one receiver from Mississippi State in, in Rara Thomas, the number one receiver from Missouri in Dominic Lovett, has the number one tight end of a generation of Brock Bowers. He has to be able to come in there and say, I'm the quarterback, I'm the leader, I'm the distributor. Um, it goes through me and, and really own that role. Yeah. That sounds good, and I completely agree with you. But how difficult is it to be a leader as a first-year starter? It's very difficult, but that's why you play quarterback. <laughs> and the great quarterbacks I know, I've played with throughout my career, even when they were young, there was something about them 
that differentiated themselves from others. And and it's the nature of the position. Uh, I mean, even when you look at Tennessee and what Hannah Hooker did last year, um, being a transfer and coming in and, and playing and all those sorts of things, he, he exhibited that type of leadership. Um, and, and so that's what you got to do at quarterback. And it's, it's difficult for sure, but I think that with the veteran presence that they have around him, with that offensive line, um, they will rally around him and, and they're going to play with the level of excellence that we've seen them play with in the last several years. George is going to come under the spotlight because they've had success. There have been off-field issues with the traffic uh, issues, the speeding, and, and some tragic car crashes. Um, how how big of a concern is that for you, and should it be for Georgia fans? Well, it, it's a concern on a on a human level. You know, anytime there's a loss of life, Amen. that's a concern. Um, that's that's sad. It's tragic. It shouldn't happen. We hate to see that happen. Anytime there are are, are college students or individuals in general who are, are speeding or get pulled over or have run-ins with the law, no matter if they play football or not, that's a concern on a, on a, on a human level, a community level in general. That's a problem. Um, as far as how it translates into football, it's not a net positive. Um, the question is how much of a detriment is it going to be? And again, it's about listening to what the players say. Um, this team from guys I've heard in media and in interviews seems to have come together um, in spite of these tragic events. Seems to have come together in spring practice, now going into summer practice. Um, it seems that they haven't been been phased in a way that would be detrimental or, or splinter them. It seems like they've come together. That's positive. Um, I'm interested to see today what Coach Smart says about it, if he addresses it at all, because it is something that has obviously been on the front page of the newspaper. No, it, it certainly has. I'm interested that you would talk about how it, it brings the team together. Again, I don't want to downplay the, the human tragedy that's there. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. But it, it it seems like Kirby Smart, one of his best attributes is finding that rallying cry, even though Georgia's usually favored. It seems yeah. like he positions them as the, the team that's been picked on. Well, I, I think I would presume – that he may have learned that from one of the best who also learned from one of the best, Nick Saban, um, and also a guy I played for, uh, Coach Bill Belichick. Mm -hmm. We were always favorite in New England, <laughs> but somehow we thought we were the underdog. <laughs> and what Coach Belichick did was he was able to not just manufacture some sort of chip on our shoulder, but to say that nothing's promised because you walk out with a G on your helmet. So nothing was promised because you walked out with the flying Elvis on the helmet. It always came down to third down conversions. You know, it came down to red zone defense. It came down to two-minute drill. It came down to the turnover ratio. Those things don't change whether you're favored or not. I, I think what Kirby has done a good job of is reminding his players of that and coaching staff every single day in practice so that they play with a sense of urgency. Last thing I got for you. I, I didn't think Nick Saban could keep up the pace in recruiting and coaching that he's been able to do long-term. I thought he was going to be a classic burnout coach. I was wrong. Yeah. I look at Kirby Smart, I think the same thing. Am I right or am I wrong? Or you know, If he has any DNA of Saban after being under him, he got a long, a long lifespan. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Like this guy, he's on a helicopter going here. He's going back here. I mean, seven years of top three recruiting classes. This, this year, they've got the number two recruiting class, second to Alabama. 
Um, but recruiting is the lifeblood of college football. I didn't realize that. So really, the last three years is when I've realized in doing analyst work that how important recruiting actually is. Because that's when the guys leave, you're able to replace them. So um, I don't know how he, how he does it. Um, he must have a heck of a deal with Starbucks, coffee. I have no idea. But, but keep on, Coach. Keep up the great work. Uh, Benjamin Watson, ESPN, SEC Network. You can see him brought to you by AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Best service and best prices in the biz, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. That was Benjamin Watson. We're going to get to DJ Shockley here momentarily as we give you a preview of Georgia and what the ball should expect this year. DJ Shockley, of course, a former Georgia quarterback, now a college football analyst. It's brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning, City Heat and Air Dot com integrity matters over 50 years there and you visited with uh dj shockley uh a guy that should have some insight into football nowadays your thoughts before we get into that interview Kevin? yeah you know it was interesting to me because shockley has a very similar situation to milton and that he was going to be a one-year starter following a beloved quarterback in his case it was david green back at georgia back in the day now david green did not have hindenhooker's raw physical abilities by any it would not even close but he could give some pointers on that. And he also has a tie to Hendon Hooker in that Shockley also got hurt in 2005. Georgia lost two regular season games because Shockley got hurt. If he doesn't get hurt, I think they're undefeated and complaining about not being in the national title game. So he had, he had some interesting things to say about that. Here we go. Here's DJ Shockley with Caleb Calhoun on Off the Hook Sports. Calhoun here with Off the Hook Sports, joined by former Georgia Bulldogs quarterback, 2005 SEC champion, DJ Shockley, now Fox 5 Atlanta sports anchor and Georgia radio sideline reporter. DJ, how you doing? Good, man. Appreciate you having me. Thanks. Thanks for being here. So we cover a lot of Tennessee Vols news, right. and you were in a very similar situation to Joe Milton because you had to take over for David Green yep. after sitting behind him for three years, and all you did was win an SEC title. So <laughs> yeah. what advice would you have for Joe? You know, I think Joe's been in a good spot because he's played a lot of ball already. Um, obviously, he's a guy who's mature. He's been around. He's played, you know, tons of football. And I think he's a smart, big kid, can throw it, can sling it. But he also, like you mentioned, he played behind a guy who played a lot of football, too, who did pretty well last year in Henny Hooker. Uh, so you think about Joe coming into this season, and now everything is his. You don't have to worry about anybody else. You don't have to worry about nobody taking his job. He is a guy that's been there and done it. I just say beat him. You don't need to do anything extra. It's a reason why you're going to be the guy this year. I had to take that same mantra as, hey, take it one play at a time, one game at a time, but also realize this is your moment, and I think he'll be just fine. I've seen him play. He's a, a, a really good player. He's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, so what are some things that he could do? You know, the biggest concern was his accuracy because he could throw it out of the building, as we've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do uh, quarterbacks like, like, the, like him, how do they – I guess measure their accuracy. Is it more about timing, or is it more about actually putting the ball in the right spot? It's it's a lot about timing too, because you got to get that time on task with receivers, and it's all about trust too, because you got to understand when a guy's coming out of his break, you got to understand he's gonna come out of that break on time, and you got to trust to throw it. And the other part about it is, it's upstairs mentally knowing exactly where you want to go with the football, knowing what a defense is going to do, and trusting what your eyes see. And then the last part, I think, it comes from below. A lot of people forget that your feet are attached to your upper body, your feet are attached to accuracy when it comes to a quarterback. Now, take Patrick Mahomes, take uh, Stafford, some of those guys out who can throw from all these different angles. Uh, but the most accurate guys are the ones who have a good base about them, 
and they step to the target. They know exactly where to go with the football. But I think the number one thing has to be the trust with the guys you're throwing to. Because if you don't trust it, you're going to be late. Or if you don't trust it, you're going to wait a little bit. Or you're going to just be, you know, trying to give them a chance. I think you have to trust the guys that you're throwing to. And that ultimately will give you that timing and accuracy you need. What type of pressure do you think Tennessee could apply to Georgia this year? Because last year, this it wasn't even a game. It yeah. was 27 to 13, but it was really like 45 to nothing. Georgia yeah. wanted it to be. Yeah. Do you think that Tennessee could play, make it a lot closer this year being in Knoxville? I think that plays a huge part. In it. I mean, obviously, the home field advantage last year for Georgia was huge. I mean, that environment was unreal. And obviously, Tennessee plays in front of 100 plus. But when you're on the road and everybody's against you and things may not go your way, it's hard to depend on your crowd to get you going. And in that instance, it was tough on Tennessee. I think when you go into Knoxville, that makes it already tough. It's a loud environment. They're going to be playing Rocky Top a thousand times. You know that. And they have something to feed off of. So I think absolutely that home field advantage plays a bigger role when you're playing at home. Uh, Tennessee is talented. What they do on offense, Heupel's got them going. I mean, that the speed, the tempo, all that kind of stuff, it gives a lot of teams issues. And you think about going on the road, it may be – you know, maybe not be as loud when they're on the field, but on the other side of it, the communication for an offense, for an opposing team is a little bit different. So that definitely will play a factor. And I think just the fact you have a guy and Joe who has been there and done it, veteran of it, and then you got Hypo who knows he's going to drop a great game plan. It's going to be a fun game. Well, I distinctly remember somebody I'm sitting next to has a pretty good track record of shutting up Tennessee fans in their <laughs> home stadium. Because I think you did that in 2005, didn't we you? We did. We, we, we actually went in Knoxville, got a win. Uh, still a tough ball game, um, but it's I love playing there. It was a great place to be. I mean, obviously, your fans are all the way against you, but you love. You walk out the tunnel, and it goes straight up. People up all up on you. And, uh, but, you know, Sea of Orange, maybe I could do a, a little bit out with, but uh, it was cool to play there. What do you think of – yeah, do you think last year's game with Tennessee on the road, do you think Eric Ainge's comments had an impact on Georgia fans wanting to uh, oh, absolutely. do a little bit on it? Absolutely. I mean, it was loud and clear. I mean, he kept saying it. And <laughs> Georgia fans, yeah, they're not like Kirby or they're not like some of the players who can't really talk about it, but they know about it too. But the fans, they absolutely hear it. They see it. And a guy who's been there and done it, you think he would have a little bit more respect for, you know, the opponent he's playing against or the opponent he played against and know what it's like there. And what it does for billboard material, it's going to be interesting to see uh, if something like that happens again or if he brings up anything like he talked about last year. But I don't think he will. Yeah, I don't think he will either. <laughs> I will say, though, it kind of makes me miss, if you remember the early 2000s, that I feel like Tennessee and Georgia hatred for each other was at an all-time high when you were playing there oh, yeah. at that time. Oh, yeah. Because I remember Casey Clawson making the comments, if I had played, we would have won by two touchdowns. No doubt. And then the Jason Allen flag in the middle of the G. And then you guys the next year were laughing at Tennessee players because they were trying to cover the T. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, it was one of those robberies that you love. And that's why you like it. That's why the SEC is cool. And usually, you know, a lot of players that are on Tennessee team probably could have went to Georgia. Georgia guys probably could have went to Tennessee. I mean, you go to all the different camps together. You kind of grow up together because, you know, you're kind of close. So, uh, there's definitely a big rivalry between Georgia and Tennessee that will always be there. And uh, for years, it always went back and forth, uh, even to the Jamal Lewis days. So it's one of those times where, you know, you love playing in that game. Yes, Jamal Lewis, Kosey Coleman, Deion Graham. Oh, we call them yeah. The, we call them the Georgia Three at Knoxville because yeah. that was the heights for Tennessee. To no get doubt. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, so 
what do you think going forward with the SEC? You know, it's going to be 16 teams. I, I think Tennessee, Georgia is a rivalry that's on the chopping block, unfortunately. Yeah. But do you think it? You think it's still going to be fine because it looks like they're going to play each other every other year, and all the teams are at least going to play yeah. each other every other year. So do you think the rivalry can still last if it's every other year? I think it can because once you get into that game and you realize how big of a game it is, which it always usually is, that rivalry instantly comes back. You love to play it every year, but you understand how the realignment is going to happen and how they want everybody to play everybody like you just mentioned. So you understand that part of it. Um, but I don't think that's one that can ever go away because you remember the past so vividly that it's hard to just be like, okay, oh, we didn't play them this year or last year, but we're not going to really be in. No, you're going to be into it. When you see that big T, you see the orange, they see the G, it's an instant rivalry, regardless of how long it's been you played them. Yep. And when you, funny enough, I was looking back, you have you have a connection to Hendon Hooker too, not just Joe Milton because – Hendon Hooker obviously got hurt against South Carolina. Mm. And I still maintain, had you not gotten hurt, you're going undefeated in 2005 in the regular yeah. season. Does that ever – is that something that sticks with the college quarterback for, like, the rest of the oh, no doubt. life? It's it's almost – I mean, as a quarterback, you remember the throws you miss. You, you remember the losses. You remember opportunities that, you know, you wish you could have played in. So, Hooker absolutely will go back and, you know, five, ten years down the road when he can look back on it and be like, man – I didn't get hurt this way. All right, we had a, maybe had another chance to play Georgia again, maybe in the you know in the, in the playoffs and make it in. You know, so he absolutely will run that through his brain again. I still do it from time. I got teammates who still remind me of if you didn't get hurt, we got a chance to play for it, Natty. I mean, so it definitely still happens. Dudes don't ever forget it. Yep, I also maintain that if you had played the full game against Tennessee in 2004, <laughs> y'all would have won because I do remember you throwing a touchdown against Tennessee we in 2004. Did. Yeah, we had a good game. It was fun playing. I mean. You know, hey, can't do nothing about it now, but, hey, it was fun playing that. DJ, thanks so much for stopping by. Pleasure, man. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. This you has been it. DJ Shockley with Off the Hook Sports. So our next guest is a star on the rise, Jesse Simonton, who worked for VolQuest.com, now works for On3 as a national college football reporter, and he gave his thoughts on Tennessee and the state of college football with Caleb Calhoun. Don't forget, hit that like and subscribe button. Set your notifications on because Thursday's Tennessee Day and we'll have complete coverage of the balls at every press conference and one-on-ones with players uh, Jacob Warren, Joe Milton, and Omari Thomas. But here's Jesse Simonton with Caleb Calhoun. Jesse Simonton and Caleb Calhoun with Off the Hook Sports on Tuesday at SEC Media Days. First time in Nashville. Jesse, how's it been in Nashville this week? Been, been busy, been busy, but going well. Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about Tennessee football, which is obviously where you cut your teeth for a long time. And what do you feel like the – I know they don't go on till Thursday. First of all, what do you think of the fact that they go on the same day as Lane Kiffin? That had to be by design. Yeah, I mean, I don't pay attention to a lot of – you know, when I'm thinking about the schedule stuff, I do, I, I, I guess it is it is kind of funny. I mean, last year, uh, yeah, I mean, that Lane, Lane's connection with Tennessee will never not, you know, be – at least amusing to ball fans in particular, the golf ball stuff obviously was, you know, a recent thing that was pretty good. I think Lane and, and the Auburn connection probably takes a little more precedent these days, but yeah, that's true <laughs> with the whole turning down the Auburn yeah, job. And yeah. so with Tennessee this year, I think the biggest question for a lot of us is can they actually compete with Georgia? Cause everybody says they're the one team in the Eastern challenge them and they host them at Nayland. But I got to be honest, last year's game, it said 27 to 13 on the scoreboard, but in reality, it could have been 45 to nothing if Georgia really wanted it to be that. So, do you think Tennessee actually has a shot to be on their level somewhat this year, or at least be in the same playing field? You know, last year, I, uh, well, last year, I, 
did I was someone that certainly believed in a Tennessee resurgence. I had them as the number two team when a lot of folks were talking up Kentucky or, or what could happen in year one with Billy Napier in Florida. It did surprise me that they were that good, that they were a college football playoff fringe contender. Obviously, they spoiled their chances uh, by kind of stubbing their toe against South Carolina there. Um, that game against Georgia, though, was not close. And I think, you know, when you kind of look back at the data – Kirby Smart has kind of been one of the few coaches, defensive coaches, that has really kind of figured out how to slow down that Josh Heupel, you know, uh, type offense. And it's you got to have the dudes on the perimeter that can basically guard guys one on one because then you can, you know, play six guys in the box. And so I'm not sure that Tennessee uh, this fall is, you know, with some of the offensive line questions, you lose your best, you know, tackle in Darnell Wright. You lose a guy like Jerome Carvin. Um, I, I think that Tennessee is still going to be the second best team in the East. I don't see them, you know, but that's not to say they couldn't pull off an upset, but I, I, just, I would be surprised if they really did kind of push Georgia, especially with what we saw happen in Athens a year ago. Yeah, I'm kind of with you because the whole point of Josh Heibel's offense is he takes away your ability to disguise what you're doing. Well, Georgia doesn't have to disguise what they're doing. They'll line up defensively and just shut you down. No, I mean that you have when you have the luxury of Kamari Lassiter and, and you put a, a kneeling green or you know they have several other you know former five stars that are out there competing uh, for that second boundary quarterback spot. But what also makes them so difficult to go up against defensively is the fact that they can play small in the box because you know they have guys that are able able to both eat space and create kind of, you know, lanes for linebackers to just flood in. Um, and we saw what happened last year. Tennessee gave up a, a boatload of tackles for loss and, and sacks in that game. Yeah, and then, of course, Tennessee also decided to trigger the Georgia crowd ahead of the game, which may not have been the smartest thing yeah. to do. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, the false start certainly played a huge impact. And, and that's why Tennessee, you know, you can't shortchange the fact that an, an upset is certainly not um, – it's not something that can't happen. I mean, this is, the game's going to be in Neyland. Obviously, uh, home field advantage is going to be a huge, uh, you know, shit for Tennessee. You know, to say, hey, you you got us at your place. Now come, now come, knock us off here. Um, it's going to be a fun November game. I'm glad that that game's later in the schedule. You know, the last two seasons. You know, last year that was the first year it had been kind of you know later in the in the calendar. It's going to be that way again this fall. Tennessee takes care of business, you know, early in the season. That could be another, you know, top 10, top five showdown. Yeah, Tony Barnhart and I were speaking, and I don't think there's ever been a game in the regular season with the SEC with two teams undefeated that late, November the 18th, which would be very intriguing. It also, if somebody could actually ball out against Georgia, it could help Tennessee, it could help Joe Milton's Heisman chances maybe because it's so late in the year. You know, Tennessee playing Vanderbilt, Kentucky, hasn't had a lot of chances at big moments in November history certainly certainly so you know i i will say this we, we're talking a lot of tennessee georgia i tennessee needs to end that losing streak in gainesville first tennessee's got to go to florida and do something they haven't done and i think about two decades and that's beat the gators in the swamp this is a florida team um you know that's kind of licking their wounds right now coming off a tough year one under billy napier i do think the gators are going to be a little bit better than some expect. I think they really like some of the transfer portal additions they brought in specifically on the defensive line. Cameron Jackson from Memphis um, in particular, I think is a guy that's going to make a big impact for Florida this fall. But they have questions at quarterback. Is Graham Mertz actually that guy 
considering what Josh Heupel has done with this Tennessee program in short order, if the program is truly kind of climbing that ladder, whether they make the college football playoff or not, whether they beat Georgia or not this year, a demarcation of success is that we are the better team against Florida. Let's go win that game in Gainesville. Big, big September showdown. Yeah, and two road games for Tennessee this year against teams picking up transfer portal quarterbacks that would be traditionally two Tennessee fans' biggest rivalries, Florida and Alabama. Not so much anymore in recent years, although last year they beat both. But who is more desperate in terms of their quarterback addition through the portal? Who seems more desperate, Florida with Graham Mertz or Alabama getting Sam Hartman? Not Sam Hartman. They got a uh, Sam Hartman. Sorry, sorry. Um, oh, Tyler, oh, Tyler, Tyler Butner. Tyler Butner. Tyler Butner. Tyler Butner. Sam yeah. Hartman was that. They would have really liked to get Sam Hartman. Yeah. I think Sam Hartman would have been a hell of an addition uh, for Alabama. And it is, I mean, in terms of desperation, the fact that Sam Hartman's former offensive coordinator, the guy who recruited him to Notre Dame, the guy who worked tirelessly to get Sam Hartman to leave Wake Forest, never ended up coaching them really. Tommy Reese spent the spring with, you know, Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson in Alabama and said, hey, I need to go get the guy that I literally found someone to replace at Notre Dame in Tyler Buckner. And yet I still think Florida, I don't know if it's desperation. I just think that the Gators don't have the options. At least the Tide can say Jalen Milrow, former blue chip recruit, has elite traits, big arm, might be one of the fastest players, you know, on the Crimson Tide's roster. Ty Simpson, former five-star, Buckner, highly, highly recruited. Those are There's at least options there. Right now, there's nothing really behind Graham Mertz. And so I think you saw Florida try to kick the tires on maybe, you know, another uh, transfer portal quarterback or two. They didn't really have one that they liked. And so they brought in – there's a freshman kind of waiting. There's a former walk-on, a guy who plays baseball too. So I think it's going to be Graham Mertz's show. Yeah, and Ty Simpson, I know he's a redshirt freshman, but he was still a freshman technically. So it was just spring, so he could turn it around when August hits too and be what they thought he would be. Yeah, and yeah, so. and, and I think the, the bigger question for Tennessee is just, or for Alabama, excuse me, is is probably you know the first couple of weeks in the in the fall camp identifying which two options give you the best chance, and then really giving the lion's share of reps to those guys because you can't. You can't split reps between three quarterbacks, you know, for several weeks of training camp and have your team ready, especially when, you know, Alabama has week two against Texas. Yeah, and I think Tennessee's learned that in the past with different quarterbacks that they've let split reps a little too long. It's pretty clear at Tennessee that Joe Milton is the starter going into the year right now and Nico Iamaliava is second. But do you think there's any chance at all Nico steals the job? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I, I – you can't rule it out, and that's because we've seen Joe Milton lose the job before. You know, <laughs> history is the best indicator. Uh, you he know, would say he got hurt and that he didn't lose it, but <laughs> well, he got hurt. He got what? Well, no, I mean, he got you know, he he got Wally pipped, but he also you know, it was not just the injury I think that held uh, you know him back from getting back on the field. Now, to his credit, he did not run and hide from his limitations. This is a guy who, who has worked tirelessly to improve his footwork, to improve his accuracy. Um, we've seen that you can. Josh Allen, some other guys in the NFL have proven you can actually learn how to become a more accurate quarterback. And so he, if he looks a lot like the guy uh, that performed against Clemson, 
he's not going to lose his job. He's going to be Tennessee's starting quarterback, and it might be a first-round draft pick, you know, come season's end. If he plays like he did, you know, kind of sporadically a couple of years ago, um, turns the ball over, airmails too many throws. Nico's Nico's as, is as polished and as talented as kind of any – um, you know, true freshman quarterback that's come around in, in, in several seasons. And so I think he's he's clearly the heir apparent for the Vols. Does that heir apparency start, you know, in 2023 or is it a 2024 deal when, you know, he and Arch Manning and some of these other guys are kind of all competing against each other, you know, as second-year players? Right. And, and before we get out of here, speaking of quarterbacks too, thinking of the West because LSU may have the best quarterback in the SEC this year in Jake Daniels. And, you know, we keep talking like LSU wins. Like Everybody's asking about Kirby Smart and if Georgia's a planet Alabama. But Alabama, you covered recruiting for a while. So, you know, just dominated on the recruiting trail this past year. But is LSU a threat to supplant Alabama in the near future with Brian Kelly? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know about supplant for like the, you know, for eternity. But in terms of 2023, I mean, I'm picking – I, I'm I'm one of the dummies picking the the, the Tigers to beat the, the to not only I don't know if I think they're going to beat the tie, but I'm picking the Tigers to win the SEC West. We're not on the same page. Yeah, on that. and so um, and for me, it, it, I kind of I distill it down to the fact that I think they just have fewer uncertainties. I really like Alabama. The recruiting rankings you're talking about, I really like Alabama's wide receiver upside. I like I think the offensive line is going to be better. Those are two units right away. Where LSU, I know they're going to be good. Malik Neighbors is the best receiver in the SEC. If he's if it's not him, it's Antoine Wells. Kalen Lacey's good. Thomas is good. Offensive line, they got Campbell and Embry Jones, maybe two potential All Americans. So when I'm projecting things on Alabama, I have more known quantities with the Tigers. And so when I have that coupled with the fact that you brought up Jaden Daniels, I also know who's going to be the starting quarterback. Oh, and if he goes down, I like Garrett Nussmeyer more than I like the three guys at Alabama. I'm taking the Tigers. And to all of our viewers who called me at LSU Homer, you just heard from somebody else. We're both calling for LSU to win the West this year. So it's not me being crazy. <laughs> Jesse, uh, thanks a lot. We really appreciate you doing this. Absolutely, man. Thanks this for has been me. a Yep, no problem. This has been Jesse Simonton of On3 for Off the Hook Sports. This is Kayla Calhoun. Day three, SEC Media Days. Thursday, set those notifications on because it's the balls for Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.